0: Hi and welcome to the Grow Your Private Practice Show, a podcast for counsellors and therapists. With me, Jane Travis, I'm an ex-counsellor that now helps other therapists to grow their practice and to attract more clients more easily. So, let's get started. Hi and welcome back and if this is your first time here, well, it's great to have you here. I'm so glad that you found us I hope you're having a great day. I always wonder what people are doing when they listen to this, so I'd love it for you to pop on social media and let me know. I usually listen to podcasts when I'm walking my dog, Kim, or very often just when I'm doing like tidying the kitchen, that sort of thing. But yeah, let me know. <laughs> anyway, so this is the third part of my four-part mini series where we explore running a private practice when you're affected by autism, ADHD, dyslexia, or a combination of those things. So be sure to go and check out episode 159 or episode 160, where I talk with Chris Oxborough and Eve Menzies Cunningham about ADHD and running a practice. They're really great interviews. They're really great people. It's well worth going and checking them out. Now, today I have another great person with me. I've got Tracy Clark with me. So Tracy says that she's a neurodivergent therapist who supports and works alongside neurodiverse young people, adult and couples. Within my working week, I can be found working two days a week in a charity in the central belt of Scotland and the rest of the week in my private practice. I'm also a supervisor of trainee therapists as well as qualified therapists. She says, my interest in working alongside neurodivergent individuals comes from both a personal perspective as well as a professional capacity. Also, as a supervisor, being able to support other therapists. I have also delivered workshops in this area as well as being invited to chat with, with, with me <laughs> twice on this topic, which is very close to her heart. She says more awareness, more conversations means embracing the amazing uniqueness of human beings. How cool is that? She also says that for some downtime and self-care, she also offers a doodle workshop, as well as other watch- workshops with the CT UK, so Counsellors Together UK, or online events. So I'll put some details of that in the show notes. So yeah, Tracy's another very busy person and in, the, in our conversation today, we look at the impact of a dyslexia diagnosis, we look at the benefits of self-disclosure, we look at dyslexia and running a business, the importance of trusting your intuition and trusting the process, the need for robust self-care and some positives of dyslexia in the therapy room. I think you're going to enjoy this one. Right, Tracy. Hi. It's absolutely fantastic to have you here. This is actually the second time I've talked to Tracy on a podcast. Now, you can go and check it out. I've actually written down the name of it so I don't forget it. I did a, um, a podcast with Tracy a while ago, which was called How Making a Typo Changed Tracy's Business. And I'll put the link to that and you can go and check it out. But it's really good. And it ties in with what we're talking about today because obviously we're going to be talking about dyslexia so i've started chattering on and i've not even said hi to you properly so tracy hi it's really great to have you here again it's always a pleasure
1: thank you so much for asking me along again jane and as always it's always a nice time to get a blather with me and have a chat yeah yeah thank you very much for the opportunity yeah
0: oh no i'm very
1: very happy to hear have you here It's often as you like So
0: what we're doing today, so I'm sort of doing this like mini series looking at neurodivergency and what we're going to do is we're going to have a little look at your experiences around dyslexia. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I wonder if maybe to sort of get us started, you could just give us a little bit of an idea about your experience of dyslexia.
1: My my experience of dyslexia has been always been a bit of a mixed bag. So uh, growing up in the 70s and 80s, dyslexia wasn't really a word that was about. So you know, the stereotype of being dyslexic was you were a poor reader, you were a poor speller type of thing. Get into further education, I then was assessed and lo and behold, I was given this label of being dyslexic. Wasn't explained what that meant for me. So over the years, I've sort of gathered up my own interpretation of what it means for me because I'm very oh, there being. Sorry, can i just uh, just jump in before
0: you've even started talking. <laughs> when you got that diagnosis... Mm-hmm. How, what was the response around you, like from parents or teachers? Or
1: do you remember what that was like? I think there was a, again, a, a bit of a mixed response from my family dynamics. I was raised as a single parent with a single parent. So my mum's dyslexic. So there's that genetic link because my sister's also dyslexic. And there's research to say the world's genetically linked and there'll be for and against arguments. My grandparents, who we lived with also, were very dismissive of it because I was then labelled, well, that was lazy, it was an excuse. And some teachers, unfortunately, again, were very much, it was an excuse and it wasn't recognised by some that were slightly more, i say more sympathetic than empathic. And then I'm <clears throat> just trying to sort of work out what did that mean? Because I can read and I can write, I'm just not as quick as everybody else. So it was trying to sort of work it out for myself as well. That sounds like quite a mixed bag. Yes. Was it a, a positive thing to have had that
0: diagnosis? Did it feel like, oh, you know, did you take a deep breath and go, oh, goodness, finally I know what's going on? No, because nobody explained what it meant. Right.
1: So you were still in the dark about what was really happening. Yeah, it was very much a case of here's this label and this is yeah. what you have. Now you take it and away you go.
0: That must so, have been really
1: confusing. Very, very much so. And again, trying to find out from a trusted, reliable source to find out what that meant and how to get the support that I needed around that. Yeah. And I still struggle with that in certain parts. Yeah. Which is probably why I'm more vocal about it now. Because again, for me back then, my younger self was very ashamed, quite guilty, very embarrassed because I couldn't explain this thing. Yeah, This thing called dyslexia, what was it? Yeah. You know, like I can't take a tablet in the morning to not be dyslexic. Yeah. You know, I can't switch it all. So it was very much a case of what, what does it mean? What does it look like? And I yeah. can't touch it. Yeah. So quite a lot of confusing messages
0: coming into you and you just being left to try and figure it out on your own. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And with that came a lot of mental health challenges as well. Yeah. Well, I, I can only
0: I can only assume that's not going to really do much for
1: your self-esteem. No. No, because again, up to that point, you're being told you're stupid, you're sex, you're uneducationable. So you're taking in that narrative. And as a young person, I was brought up, you listened to your adults. Yeah. And what they told you was fact. So it must be true what I'm being told. Yeah. So, yeah, it can be quite upsetting. Yeah. Yeah, I can
0: understand that. My brother's dyslexic, and he wasn't diagnosed. I think until at least his early th- early twenties. No, middle. I can't remember exactly. We're not ever so close, me and my brother. But I know, growing up, he really. Started, it was. It was a thing about I would read to him. So in at bedtime, he'd come into my bed, and I'd read read to him because I loved reading. Mm-hmm. And it was really just assumed he was just not very good at reading. or, mm-hmm. You know that they, it just was. You know. Not very good, and it was almost almost made fun of. Not as obvious as made fun of, but if you made a mistake in writing something that was a bit funny, that was kind of repeated often. So, you know, there was a lack of compassion there.
1: Yes, yes. yeah. I know for myself, and it still happens now, if I am delivering something, I will either go on a tangent or if I get so anxious, and I get so overwhelmed and I can't almost self-regulate to calm myself down. Yeah, It'll actually form a speech impediment. So I'll have to stammer. Yeah. And what I recognise now is my brain is going so fast because I'm so anxious. My mouth can't keep up with that, So I'll actually fall over my words. Yeah. But as a child in school, being asked to stand up in the class and read to fellow peers, as we were all made to do at that time, and read out a paragraph or a sentence, I would then start to starla. Well. Yeah. So I would then be very much belittled and berated by my teacher in front of fellow peers to be told, "Sit down. I can't educate you. Just have to get a waste of time." Oh, that's yeah.
0: it's awful. My my little heart at the moment is like my I can just just imagine a young you there, sort of, yeah. Oh, bless you. It's awful, mm-hmm. isn't it? So. It was, it was Obviously, that was back in the day when you were young, which was, what, about 10 years ago when you were <laughs> <laughs> You know, but a couple of decades ago. Thank you for that. And things have changed. Mm-hmm. How much have things
1: changed? <laughs> <laughs> they have changed, yes. And I think with change, it's lower. So it's not as fast as I would like, because now I'm, fast forward, more than 10 years, bless you. I'm now a, a mum of now adults. Children, not children, children. Um, and two of them out of my four have actually dyslexic also. Because <laughs> it is that genetic link. And for their experience within a school setting, it's slightly similar, but not as brutal as what mine would be in comparison. So again, there is still that, here's this label you've been given, and there are some teachers that don't understand what it means. And don't know what to put in place, and there's some that do understand that yeah. and do put things in place. And I think what's helpful now is that, just like I said, being recognised as a hidden disability and is protected under the Disability Act, that there's actually legally there's that level of weight behind that sense of you no, know, you have to be able to give these yeah. children and people what they're entitled to. Yeah. Yeah
0: Mm because it makes such a difference I know with my brother I mean my brother's a very intelligent person but of course Mm -hmm. if you can't read and write the you know to like like I can't say to the best of it but if you can't if you struggle to read and write then that puts you at a real disadvantage doesn't it Mm -hmm. he's very it's extremely intelligent you know he runs businesses and and all the rest of it but and it was only when he went I'm I'm trying to remember the story now of course my brain doesn't work and I can't remember properly but it was only when he got some help to do with something, somebody recognised that, you know, could you be dyslexic? Mm-hmm. And it was only then that they did a test and realised and then that he got help put in place. So this was him as an adult learner mm-hmm. doing a degree or whatever it was. I'm not very good at anecdotes because I always forget what, what, what happened. But he started to get help and then he started, he got somebody, there was somebody that kind of took him under his wing and really looked after him but not everybody has that you know not everybody has that and if your self-esteem has been crushed so much Mm
1: -hmm. I don't know maybe that makes it hard to reach out. It does because again I've I've had uh, this is a conversation that comes up quite a bit for for us for myself and mother, mother children and it's we don't know what to ask because we have nothing else to refer to yeah because our experience has always been how we process information so I have no idea what it's like not to be dyslexic to then go, right, see that thing? That's, that's a dyslexic thing. See that other thing? It's not a dyslexic thing. So can I get help with that and not this? yeah We have no point of reference to compare it to because how we process is how we process. yeah We, yeah. we can't change that. And yeah. I think for myself, I'm aware, my mum being a single parent and living in you know, the 70s and 80s and a lot of stuff around about that at that time that wasn't acceptable. She couldn't advocate for me, but I could as a parent to my children to the best yeah. of my ability because I had to learn quite quickly well, given mm-hmm. it right. They can ask these questions, but I can because I am what it's like for me and having these conversations with my children as well. can give mm-hmm. it right. This is what they need. And you need to give it to them because legally yeah. you're entitled to. Yeah. But it is that awareness and there is that saying, or oh, you don't know what you don't know until yeah. you know it. Yeah. But if you don't know it, then how are you going to know? Yeah. So you get into that sort of look. I think this is, I mean, I've talked about it with
0: with Chris, who's in this series as well, Chris Oxbridge. We were talking about how using your difference can be oh. such a great way to have that as a niche, because mm-hmm. then you have people who are on the same page they don't have to try and explain to somebody what it's like because yes. I mean obviously everybody's different experience is personal mm-hmm. and you know it's not like all mm-hmm. oh, if you're dyslexic it must be like this of yep. course that's not right but every dyslexic person will have things that are the same they'll have mm-hmm. commonalities of mm-hmm. how it was growing up with dyslexia how it was with maybe you know that uncle that just thinks you're lazy and is vocal about it you know that yep. sort of thing. Yeah, I've got a, an uncle who was a bit like that. You know, he was very. It was next sergeant major, and he treated us all like his. Anyway, I go off on a tangent again, but and I think that's what that's why having a niche can be so brilliant because it means mm-hmm. that if you are if you have experience of it, that just helps so much. It helps mm-hmm. so much somebody because they know that you have that real deep level of understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: No, definitely. I would say. Um... Over the last 15 years, I would say I'm more vocal now about being dyslexic. Previous to that, it would only be a certain few that I trusted with that information that wouldn't use it against me or ridicule me or use weaponize it almost. So I'm aware that not every dyslexic wants to be vocal about it. And within training to be a therapist, we are all encouraged not to self-disclose well it's the case of my brain processing is going to be slightly different from yeah. everybody else so I've now learned I'm actually comfortable to self-disclose because yeah. it comes into the room because yes. I'm in the room it's with me all the time so yeah. I find it quite helpful and it's worked I would gladly say more in my favor sometimes than it has been against me and again that's an individual choice so client base and that's fine but you're right there is that level of A deeper awareness, a deeper understanding and it is certainly two human beings in a space and two human beings who are maybe dyslexic, different dyslexics, however there's a common thread there and that's being dyslexic. Yeah, yeah. And that's a lovely point to work from rather than having to sit and explain it or be the elf in the room. Yeah, yeah.
0: And it's interesting because I've seen that change in you. I mean, when we did that original podcast, which was, I can't remember how long ago it was actually, but that was after some, you'd, you'd email, sent an email out and somebody had very kindly pointed okay. out a typo. And I can remember that you were really affected by that and it really shook mm. you. Mm-hmm. And the difference from that you, that version of you that was like, oh my God, somebody's criticised my, my writing the you now of saying, well, I've, I'm an advocate now for people that are dyslexic. I mean, that difference is
1: really remarkable, the change in you. Thank you. I, I struggle with it, and it is a struggle for me. But there are times when it's, I'm very aware, if we are not having these conversations, like yourself, and being asked to be interviewed by us, yourself for the second time, which is lovely, if these conversations aren't being said, then we're not raising awareness. Yes. Yeah. And it's back to that we don't know what we don't know until we know it. Yeah. This is the part that we're actually saying okay, most dyslexics or most neurodivergent individuals will happily take a question if mm-hmm. it's coming from a place of curiosity and not judgment. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's true woman. of everybody.
0: I think that's mm-hmm. true of just everybody. If it, if it's just a genuine curiosity question, mm-hmm. you're more than happy to answer,
1: aren't you? Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Because again, you're raising that. This is my experience. You're asking me what this is like for me, so I can all speak for me.
0: Yeah. I'm going to say on a personal level, it's like, well, how can I get to know you mm-hmm. if I don't know you? You know, if I don't get the ch- if you don't get the chance to share
1: yourself. Mm-hmm. That takes, a, that can take time in that sense. So, because, yeah, people's experience, and I'm generalizing here, from my experience, it's been very much a case of, If I think I've trusted you enough to give me this piece of really, really fragile piece of me, and I can be very fragile at times because there is that little girl in there who has been really traumatised by her experience, but there's a sad as well. So if I give you this as a gift, then sometimes it can be not treated well. So trusting people with this information can be quite difficult sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, Those, You can only get so much and the rest of it's like, no, I'm not going to give you that because yeah. I don't know you well enough yet.
0: Well, we need to protect ourselves. We have to protect ourselves. It's important for everybody, whether you're dyslexic or not, that you protect 100%. yourself. So, yeah. So, let's have a look at you as a counsellor. What mm-hmm. it's like being a counsellor? What it's like running a business? What are the sorts of things what are the sorts of issues that you've noticed as
1: a business owner? Like I say, I'm very vocal now about being dyslexic and being neurodivergent. So it is on my social media, it is on my webpage, and there are typos in it, and I'm truly aware of it. But there's a the part of me giving it, are they in purpose or are they not in purpose? So there's a bit of development in me as well. So the challenges for me are managing my calendar, my diary, because <laughs> I have two. So I have my written one because I like paper can't do wrong with paper but I also have my my calendar and my phone and the two need to make sure they sync all the time so there's that sort of level of making sure that my admin is managed to my level of management and capabilities there are times when I can't manage it enough and I'm maybe burnt out but I'm also aware now and we've had this conversation and the notes he sent me over in preparation for for today's interview was you you very kindly heard me and said that I need from pink paper and large text. And you made that accommodation for me and it's very neatly received. So a lot of my paperwork is in pink paper because it doesn't give me eye strain so I don't get headaches. So it's putting things into that into my business because it's for me. The very practical very things about yeah. how to
0: just how to run it on a day to day level, how to manage your diary. I'm the same. I have two diaries. I love a paper diary, but you need Mm -hmm. to have an online diary these days, you know, so it's a bit annoying, (laughs) but it is what it is. Yeah. So just getting, so I suppose what's, you know, you like pink paper and, and it, I guess it's just different for other people, isn't it? So it's Mm -hmm. getting, recognizing what's going to help you personally on a very practical way, practical level.
1: I was tasted for my glasses years ago. And I'd mentioned that was dyslexic. And I'm fortunate enough that my optician can actually tint glasses. We can actually tint them with dyslexia in mind. So there are different variations of colours. So mine happen to be pink, the same as my daughter. You've um, got rose
0: coloured glasses.
1: I have, and I've you your... seen life then. What kind of on? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. Um but my son's is blue. So it's not a not a, a uh, gender thing his precedented paper is blue but i know people who have it yellow have it green yeah so it's it's all a different so mine so happens to be pink and unfortunately yes i've seen life for a little while through those (laughs) tinted but it is these small supporting tools because that's how i see them as they're really helpful so again it's these conversations of like, do you need to have my Contract printed out. I send out all my paperwork beforehand before I see my client, so they have time to read through everything. It's done in a dyslexic-friendly font. If they want in a different font, I can accommodate. So, see, asking these patients, of this is what I need. Yeah. So, do you need something dashing, or yeah. is there something else I can offer you? Yeah. So, I guess for me,
0: I'm not seeing clients anymore. But if I was seeing clients, I might want to say to if I knew they were dyslexic, I might want to say you know, what What do you need from me? Do, you know, would you prefer me to use different colours or different fonts and find mm-hmm. out what their needs are?
1: Yep, and not everybody knows that they're dyslexic yeah. because, it, you know, the implementation for today's chat, and we've mentioned this before, there's a statistic on the, now I've written it down so I can make sure I've seen it correctly. The NHS source and Dyslexic UK have a statistic saying one in ten people are dyslexic. And the British Dyslexic Association say 10% are dyslexic. Now, my question to that is, that's only people who are being assessed. What More about the individuals who maybe don't? Yeah. So actually, the percentage would be actually a lot higher. Yeah. But Warren, that is huge. Masters, that's huge. Like, it really like. is. Yeah. So again, I'm aware that not everybody wants to divulge that they're dyslexic or that they know they're dyslexic. Yeah. But I'm very much, if I say it first, I'm almost making the elf in the room slightly smaller. Yeah. Still yeah. there, but it's okay. It's more manageable rather than yeah. being a huge thing. And if they don't want it, that's fine. Yeah. So there's that sort of level of to be accommodating with everybody if they need it. They don't, yeah. that's fine. But I've and had it. clients come to me and say, I've picked you because of the selects. was like, well, oh, okay.
0: That's the point I keep trying to say, you know, people will find the right person for them. And if if they see someone who's got, you know, talks about the thing that they're struggling with, they'll be gravitated towards it. You know, it's just good. It's good business sense and -hmm. it's good therapy sense, because as Mm -hmm. as we know, the therapeutic relationship is the biggest, most important thing going on in the therapy room. And if somebody sees you and thinks, right, that's somebody who's going to really understand what, what I'm going through, yeah. then you're going to have a far, the client is going to have a far better experience of going to get mm-hmm. counselling, aren't they? And I you're going so. to have a far better experience because you're working with people that you feel passionate about working with.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, it, the whole thing is just going to be a better experience. That's always my hope. And that's what I've, I've, I've always had that feedback I, yeah. um, I'm very aware for my dyslexia I'm a visual learner so what that means for me is if I can't find the words that I'm about to say my brain will default to a picture so what I will then do is and I disclose this to all my clients and anybody that I'm speaking with if I can't get the words my brain will give you a picture so I will then describe the picture yeah. this is what I'm seeing how does this sound is this what Is this what I'm hearing? Because this is what I'm picking up. This is what I'm imagining. And that will either go in the sense of 100%. Yep, that's it. And that's almost taking that, takes that session for me down a different level because I'm acknowledging to the client, I'm hearing you, I'm seeing it, I'm in it with you. It's tangible. I'm right beside you. It's a really high level. Yeah, Absolutely. And for some, if it's not, then that starts them to open up. It's a little bit like that, but it's more like this. Yeah. So again, it's starting a conversation for me on a different, deeper level of yeah. understanding. And it gives a more richness yeah. sometimes to the sessions, I've found. And mm-hmm. clients have even come and given it. That was a really good session. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. And I'm thinking, what did we do? Because we all had a conversation. <laughs> you just don't know how fabulous you are, really. But
0: I... I love that. I mean, I love an analogy because sometimes I, the way my brain works, if I've got somebody, say a, a counsellor I'm talking to, and they're kind of explaining something, sometimes my brain just goes, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I don't understand, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. So then I have to say, sorry, could you say that again? So sometimes an analogy, or oh, that would be really perfect. Somebody saying, well, what I get this image of such
1: and such, that would be I, per- I personally would find that really helpful and really useful. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it doesn't work and that's fine. Because again, this is my yeah. perception, so it's my processing. But again, it starts off another conversation. So it's case, yes. okay, that, that didn't work for you, so what is it that you didn't like about What was it that didn't fit? And almost giving the client another way to look at something.
0: Yeah, and isn't that what counselling's about? Well, that's what I always hoped.
1: <laughs> That's always well, Because I'm always waiting for the person to send the place to come to the door. <laughs> of it, like, get you're
0: doing it wrong. Oh my God, anybody else listening to this ever? Anybody else ever think that? Does anybody else ever think, oh God, that's massive imposter syndrome, isn't it? The feeling that yeah. somebody's going to come and knock on the door and say, oh no, you're doing it all wrong.
1: i <laughs> the rain coughs. Yeah. yeah. But I normally say to any client who's starting with me, <laughs> and again, this is this is my visual brain. It comes Is I find you have to get the right therapist for you. So my analogy of that is we all know the shoe where we love. Okay. So I have two a specific trainer type, and my Doc Martins love my Doc Martins. I have several pairs of Doc Martins to my wardrobe, but it's taken me years to work out what I like, what fits me, what supports me, what helps me. However, through my years. I have squeezed my feet into high heeled shoes, flats, you name it. I have tried different variations of footwear. Therapy and therapists are my sense of you have to get the right fit. Yeah. And if it's not a Doc Martin and if it's not a certain designer trainer, then I can't take you Mm. forward because that is going to cripple you. Yeah. You're going to be in pain and it's going to squeeze you. Yeah. And if it's, it's going to be uncomfortable. Yeah. If it gives you a blister, then it's not going to do anybody any good. I'm not going to take you anywhere. Yeah.
0: yeah. You're
1: getting the right footwear and the right therapist will mean that you're safe, you're secure, yeah. you're dry for all weathers and you get to move forward. Yeah. There you go. A
0: perfect analogy there. I love it. I love <laughs> it. It's so good. Oh my goodness. So I suppose one of the things I was thinking was about how, you know, obviously, we're all different and yep. you're you and you experience life and your dyslexia in a, in a mm-hmm. certain way and obviously somebody else who might be dyslexic might experience it in a completely different way so I think that I mean it would be lovely for you to say oh do this do this do this but of course that's not gonna work no, and I think though no. I think it's so important for us to sort of just learn about ourselves And I'm saying this because I know it's obvious but I think sometimes as counsellors, we're so worried about the person-centred police turning up and telling mm-hmm. us that we're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. We can get very caught up in, in is it okay to do it like this? Is it okay to change it in a way that actually helps, helps yeah. myself, helps the client? Yeah. And I think, you know, when I think about getting to know yourself, I think sometimes it's really being aware of the benefits of knowing yourself,
1: you know, does that make sense? I'm not sure that I'm really no, making. I need one of your analogies. No, hundred <laughs> percent. Because again, I've had conversations with friends and colleagues, and said, "If uh, I mean, I graduated in 2016, so I am nowhere near a the therapist I was when I graduated to where I am now. I think I'm a better therapist, and that's taking a lot of almost de-skilling stuff that I was taught to then reskill." So again, from my teaching, which of you have to make sure your client gives you eye contact at all times. i work do with divergent individuals. They don't need to give me eye contact mm. because I know that can be really challenging sometimes. So if they can hear me, and if, unless they have any hearing issue, then I can get really good sessions with a client. So my training to certain parts have been helpful, but I am not the embodiment of Carol Rogers. Yeah. I am me. Yeah. My clients are seeing me. Yeah. They're not seeing how Rogers. So I think for me, it's a case of parts of my training have been helpful, but I've had to adapt it for me. And for an adapting to me, then it means I'm adapting to my client's needs. Yeah. Because we're going back to that. You need to be your dog mountain for your client. And if you're not, you're a stiletto little heel. Yeah. The two are very, very different. Absolutely. And that's fine. Yeah. If your client needs a stiletto little heel, therapist, go with my blessing. Yeah, because you're getting the right support for you, and it's going to take you further. Yeah, but if you don't, and you need a lovely dot Martin, I'm a dot Martin. Yeah, and I think that it takes quite a lot of um, self
0: knowledge, but also courage in yes. order to. If you have somebody contacting you, and you're, you know, maybe you don't have many clients, and you're really desperate for clients, it can take a lot of courage. It could take a lot to be able to say, actually, I don't think this is the best choice, and mm-hmm. to be able to. Pass that on, but that's what we need to do. That's what we need to do, and it's it's not easy in a practical way. If like you know, you need you need some money, you know, all of yep. those realistic 100%. things of somebody phoning up and you think, yeah, I'm sure I could help them. But I think that's part of what being a really good, authentic counselor is: the yep. fact that you can really know yourself and know what you can give that
1: person and mm-hmm. have an idea of the sort of things that that person might need. Definitely, because again, I. I believe that we are in a business and I've been open here and d- making an assumption as well is that we're here to help people. Yeah. And if I can't help someone because it's out with my email or maybe on my skill base, I am fortunate enough to know that there are people that I trust and I would go to myself that I could signpost to. Yes. So I really, really feel that having that network is so important. Because we can self-refer or yeah. actually this is a client or I'm not too sure about it. You've almost got that huge vast of knowledge that we can dip into and take support from or just to have that, no, I've, I found this works so this doesn't work. So it's really quite empowering as a therapist, but also empowering for the client. Yes.
0: Yeah. But it, it, it is always the client that we have to keep him in mind. I always think, you know, what we do as a counsellor, when it comes to, I'm talking about the business side of things, it's not all about the client. It's not all about the client's needs. We have to look at our own needs. We Mm -hmm. have to look at, am I working the hours that uh, suit me? Am I working in a way that suits me? So I think there's that sort of two sides of that, of somebody being very comfortable and confident in the way that they run their business. And also very comfortable and confident that they're really going to be providing the best service that they can.
1: Yes, I think for myself, I know how much client work I can manage in a week. Yeah. Because as as we know, anyone who's in private practice, it's not just the client errors. It's the booking and assist. It's the booking and the appointments. It's doing up the administration. It's doing your finance. So there's more errors around. Not Absolutely. Busy. 50 minute and an hour session. Yeah. It's another hour on top of that, potentially.
0: Yeah. And I know for you, I know you've said before that you can, because of the, the your dyslexia, can make it take longer to do certain things. And also, yes. it can be
1: very tiring. It's exhausting. Yeah. It's physically and mentally exhausting Yeah, at times. So, that's normally when I, I have to reevaluate my diary, reevaluate my self care. And almost my body and my brain very politely tapping the shoulder, giving it, you're doing too much. You yeah. need to get somebody to help you with this.
0: And do you think you've always been able to do that? Or is that something that you've learned
1: since you've gone on? About- that's something th- I've learned through a lot of pain, of yeah. through, a lot of pushing through, a lot of burnouts, and a lot of mental health burnouts. And I think that's been the case of, like, no, mm-hmm. I'm not getting any younger. And yes, every pound can be a prisoner. But at what cost? And if the cost is coming at my mental health and my then ability to be a good therapist, it's too high. Yeah, I need to cut down. Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd rather have five good client work session hours yeah. than fifteen. Yeah, because somewhere in there it's becoming diluted. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not the therapist that I want to be for my clients. Yeah. So if I want five, I'll I'll work with only five. Yeah.
0: And I think that that's something that if, you know, if you're a new counsellor, I think that's something that is is difficult. That's something that I think definitely comes with experience because as a new counsellor, it's like you, you, you're desperate for clients often, aren't you? are desperate for clients and you don't quite know what to do and you just, the thought of, you don't understand, I think, the level of, oh, what am I trying to say? I I say very often that I think being a counsellor is just so hard. It's really, really hard and people don't understand how hard it is. You are giving to them the 100% of you in that room. You're watching what they're saying, what they're not saying, how they're sitting, yeah. trying to remember things from the past. Yeah. It's just really, really hard. And Sometimes the stories that you hear are so heartbreaking. It's uh-huh. you've got to be made of wood to not be affected by it, mm-hmm. you know. And it has an impact on you. And I think when you start out of a, as a as a counsellor, I'm not always sure that we're aware of that those levels. And I think it's only when we uh-huh. get to be a little bit more experienced that we can say, right, I'm reaching a point where I need to really pick up on my self care. Uh-huh.
1: Definitely, I, I definitely 100% agree. I'm also a supervisor, so I'm, I have some qualified supervisors and I have trainee supervisors. And the difference is very much around those client hours because the pressure to get your placement hours and that. And I remember it studying myself. That was the drive. So I would potentially come in six times in a day and have to drive 40 minutes there and then 40 minutes back. So that's an eight hour a day. Never mind you write up your notes and your supervision and, and that is that drive of I need to get there, I need to get there, I need to get the hours. And you forget, and it's that level of how good of a therapist are you actually being present at that moment. If this is your sixth client at five o'clock at night and you've been working since nine that morning and some are back to back, some are only twenty-minute break, and that you're not the same therapist you were at nine o'clock in the morning. Guaranteed. And if you're doing that two, three, five days a week, you at some point it's going to very much tap you in the shoulder to know. Yeah. But there is that level of an unspoken and unseen level of pressure to get your hours in, to be good enough, to get past. And I've done lots of different jobs up to this point. Some are manual, some are very different. This is the most rewarding and challenging in exactly the same breath. Of a career I have ever had from lots of different ways. But I think it's to be able to know yourself as a practitioner and to know, to be able to say, I, I don't want you as a client. Yeah. Sorry, I can't work with you or no, or I can't. No is a two letter word, yeah. but my goodness, it's a big word. Yeah. So to be able to have that sort awareness to be able to say, I can't, I'm full. Sure. And that can be quite scary to say, no. Can take another one on or yeah. a waiting list. What a lovely place to be in. There's also is about skiing biscuits as well because you think that that list could go somewhere else. Yeah. So when I do have an opening, I don't have any waiting. Yeah. So how am I paying my bills? So it's so always that balancing and juggling act yeah. sometimes. It can be. Yeah. It's, it, it, trust the
0: process is just, it's such a simple thing to say, but sometimes you mm. really do have to trust the process. You have to trust the process that... Uh, and trust yourself that you have the skills yeah. and you
1: really do have what it takes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. and I think that's that's the key word in there is trust. And it'll be okay, and it will be okay yeah. because maybe that break of client inquiries or your waiting list suddenly being less might be actually the universe, if you believe in it, giving you that break of you need to slow down. Because you've ignored your brain telling you, you've ignored your body telling you. You are getting colds, so or I get cold so a lot, and you're ignoring it, knowing it, and suddenly it's case okay, so you've got all piles. It's case okay, so, of, right, okay. Maybe this is when I'm supposed to slow down a bit. Yeah, yeah, and it'll be okay. Yeah, it will. It'll always yeah. be okay. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, that's fantastic. So what? So coming back to dyslexia. Uh huh. So, so if I. I- <laughs> looking at your business looking at mm-hmm. the fact that you've you know you've been a private practitioner for a while now you're also a supervisor yep. and you've, you've done all that with dyslexia mm-hmm. with the the benefits and the challenges of that I mean what would you say what are the positives that you think it might have brought because I think sometimes we can think you know this it brings challenges but sometimes it brings positives I mean are there any positives that you think it's brought for you? <laughs>
1: I think for me, it's been very much a case of, like I said, it comes into the room with me because it is me. So I think for me, I'm aware that I can use a lot of humour in my room. Whereas again, you're you're not told you can be humorous in your your sessions Because people can tell you really horrible, painful, dark, personal things. But there's always that, you can always bring in humour sometimes. And I also think for me, because I am a visual learner, I bring in that other part of my brain. So as a positive for me, in the case of you're actually getting a buy one, get one free. <laughs> you're getting the skills, you're getting what's been taught and what I've learned, but you're also getting that creative side of my brain. Because yeah. I, I do have a creative brain, so you're getting the best of both. So it's not so, just you know, having fast theories. So, I mean, do you think that dyslex- if you're
0: dyslexic, do you think dyslexia brings about a, a greater creativity?
1: It can for some, yes. Might not for others, because again, it's just like an individual's left in. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So it is very much an individual thing. Yeah. Cool. Tracy, I've really enjoyed this. I always love talking to you. You know that.
0: I've really enjoyed this. I think it's just talking about the fact that we're all different. Whether mm-hmm. we're neurodivergent, I can never say it. Whether you're neurodivergent or not, yes, we're all different. And it's... Yes. I What I love about being in practice is that there's a large part of being in practice that is personal development work, learning about yourself so that you can then be a a better counsellor, so that you can then make your business what you want it to be, so that you Mm -hmm. can then know about what sort of boundaries that you need. And I think it's, you know, for anybody, I think that's important. But I think when you put into the mix as well, the fact that you're dyslexic and that you do have different needs to make this successful, you know, it's about being okay with that and thinking, Mm -hmm. well, when I went to counselling school, it said that I should do X, Y, and Z. But now that I'm doing this, I'm seeing that's not actually right for me. And -hmm. as long as you're staying within your ethical boundaries Mm -hmm. and not doing anything to damage the
1: client, then, you know, you should be okay. You can always ask your supervisor as well, can't you, Yeah, 100%. I think key is is to give yourself permission to trust yourself. Yeah. Because that's who your client's going to have to trust. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're second guessing yourself, then your client's going to pick up on that. You're no longer giving out. I'm safe. I'm safe hands. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect place to close. Tracy, look, thank you
0: so much for coming along. I've really enjoyed talking to you. It's been really interesting. And I'm sure that people listening to this will find it useful. And if there's anybody out there that is struggling with dyslexia, then I hope that this has helped you. Maybe you might want to go and connect with Tracy. I'll put
1: details of how to connect with Tracy. But you also have, do you want to tell us about the group that you have? Online events, um, John Wilson and myself have every two months. It's advertised as a workshop. It's not a CPD. I need to make that very clear. It is literally a space where other therapists who are identifying as dyslexic or maybe work alongside someone who's dyslexic to come along and literally just chat. It's not supervision, it's not a it's literally just a safe space for practitioners to say, this is a challenge or have you tied this and we've discussed lots of different yeah. things. So it's every two months. So there's one coming up next month. So I know John and the team at online events do a lot of advertising and that. Right. So that's coming up. So how can I,
0: how can people, I'll put the details of that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening to this, have a little look around this recording somewhere and I'll put a mm-hmm. link to that there for you. Yep. And you also do something. I came to one of these. You also do something to do with doodling, don't you?
1: It, uh, yes. Yes. I need to give husband credit for this one. He came up with the name. So it's called Doodle Downtime. So I'm aware for self care during lockdown, my self care practice had to change. So I've always been a doodler. So as a, part of my brain there so I've set up a Facebook page and a website where I will offer workshops which yourself came along to Jane yeah and it's basically a space for an hour and a half to two hours where you can doodle as in if you can draw a squiggly line then you can come you do not need to draw a line it's not arts which is why it's called doodling so it's very much a case of come along bring a paper pencil and you can doodle you can do your own stuff where I actually show some of my images that I've doodled and I can talk you through creating something. Yeah. And it is a very much a good self-care practice. Because back in the 70s, we sat at the phone and we doodled. Yeah. And that's usually the You're actually all around just so we yeah. all doodle. Oh, I, I
0: did it and I loved it. It was Christmas time and we were doing some Christmas doodles. But for me, it was like a real mindfulness thing. So you're mm-hmm. just concentrating on doing something. There was no rules. He oh. just gave an idea and he could just, and it was just wonderful. I really enjoyed it. I'm going to have to come to another one. So It's the quietest UPD <laughs> It was wonderful. So I'll put the details of that as well um, somewhere around this. Um, so that's it, Tracy. That was fantastic. Thank you so much. And I shall look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you. See, I told you, Tracy, is fantastic. I really hope that this has helped you, whether you're dyslexic or whether you know other people that are. And if you are neurodivergent and are looking for a supervisor, check Tracy out. And, you know, as I say, keep an eye out for both her doodling workshops or talks on online events. So that's it for today. Join me again next week for the final one in this series where I'm going to be talking to Carly Radford about being a therapist with autism and ADHD. Really interesting. So come along and have a listen. And remember to make sure that you get all of the episodes, subscribe to the podcast and that means that you'll never miss an episode. Okay, that's it. Have a fantastic week, and I look forward to seeing you again next time. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining me this week, and if you're ready to take action to grow your practice, check out growyourprivatepractice.co.uk. Bye for now.